Thanks for checking out this message from Radiant Life Church. Grab your Bible, a pad of paper, and a pen. Let's dive in. Well, welcome to part four of our series together, Controversial Jesus. I want to welcome those online. Church family in the room, can we just give a round of applause and just welcome those online with a clap just to say, hey... We know you guys are a part of us. We can't wait to have you guys online in this room in person. Thanks for being patient. Uh, You guys knew we went a little bit long at our nine o'clock service, which means you got to turn to your neighbor and say, buckle up. (laughs) Here's the good news. The good news is the Lions have already played and beat the Packers. So uh, we're not rushing to go watch them, right? Uh, we're not rushing. I can't imagine living on the West Coast when like games start at 10 o'clock a.m. Sunday, right? And they got to do church and stuff. So uh, here we go. Uh, next week, I will wrap up our series together. Next week, um, I really, just a warning, I really thought this was going to be shorter than the two previous weeks. And apparently, the way nine o'clock went, it's not quite as short. But uh, I am your lead pastor, Ryan. Not only that, I am Professor Bibb this morning as well. I'm pastor and professor. We're going to take a journey together. And um, so if you have your Bible, we'll eventually get to this, um, this portion. If you got your Bible, you want to turn to Genesis chapter 1, not too far. And uh, it's the very first book of the Bible. Just turn to, and mark it. We will get there. I've titled this message, God, Gender Dysphoria, and the Transgender Movement. And uh, here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to set, set us up, and then I'm going to ask something really quick before we jump in from all of you. Um, you may be asking yourself, why take time to address this? Uh, it really affects just a very, very, very small percentage of our population that are actually dealing with this. And here's why. Because 100% of us in this room and those online, 100% of us is confronted with this ideology. Um, this message piggybacks last week when we talked about sexuality and the sexual revolution and because the ideologies are still there discipling our culture and I believe that the ideologies are shaping also Christians today. Um, And we'll get into more of that. But I'm going to ask you the same thing I asked last week. It's going to be hard for some of you. But you did it so gracefully last week. And you're you're laughing because you know exactly what I'm going to ask you to do. Will you? Well, okay, there, you got it out, right? You got it out. You know it's coming. There will be a time again to say the amens, the hallelujah, the glories, the claps. I'm going to ask you for a time being to withhold to the best of your God-given ability to withhold them. And here's why again. Um, Because this this is something that people around you and in our church family are actually experiencing. And sometimes an amen, a hallelujah, a clap can be misconstrued as an unwelcoming gesture or an against me gesture. And that's why. So we are a family. We are going to eat at the Lord's table together and dive into the word of God together. It's Thanksgiving. This is what I call Sundays, right? I have for the last, it's Thanksgiving meal, but we're family together. 
at the Thanksgiving meal. Let's eat together. Let's see what God's word has to say. And then there'll be a time for amens and hallelujahs and glories. And next week, you can say as many as you want, Lord willing, a ton of them next week, and, uh, and then so on. Um, but last week, you know, we talked a little bit about the sexual revolution and this identity. And I thought it was really funny, the feedback I got last week. Uh, before I get into the feedback, I want to say number one, is thank you for your prayers, thank you for your encouraging emails. It has really uplifted my spirit during this time. And so thank you for that. Number two, I realized that I, I, I was hearing through the grapevine that a lot of husbands uh, really captured something last week. And they really, really focused on one particular book in the Bible, which was Song of Solomon. Uh, you giggle because those that are in the room, you know where we went last week with that, right? That God is pro-sex. And all of a sudden, I've been hearing some from wives saying, my husband's like texting me a lot of scripture this week. (laughs) Which is awesome. The, The problem is you're only texting from one book of the Bible. There's 65 other books to text from, right? And all of a sudden, some wives are saying, I don't know why my husband keeps texting me this emoji. I, I don't get it. Well, watch last week, you'll get it. This week, we're going to dive into a topic that actually really exists in our world today. The ideology is there. We're going to dive into this idea of gender dysphoria and sexual identity in the transgender movement. We're going to do it with deep conviction, but we're going to do it with compassion. And I need to say this, if you're in this room today and you've got a child that may be struggling with it or you yourself are struggling with this, I want you to know God loves you. God loves you. This church loves you. Jesus Christ died for you. And what we desire is to look at the truth and pull back the curtain of possibility of some deception and lies that are there. Pull back the curtain, go to God's word, and we want to point everyone to Jesus Christ because we believe he brings wholeness to the body. First uh, Peter 3, uh, Peter writes this. Uh, it's really interesting, and we're going we're gonna to get into some scripture, but it says this. This is what Peter writes. But you in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, I love that what Paul says immediately, that Christ the Lord as holy, this idea of lordship is the idea that Jesus is master. We often like to say that we hire Jesus as savior, save me from my sins because hell sounds bad. I hire Jesus as savior, but I fire him as Lord. I fire Jesus as actual master of my life. And Peter says, before we jump in, Peter's like, hey, you have to honor Christ the master, Christ the Lord as holy. You as a Christian, you must. And here's something to know immediately, that there is constant conflict between the world and the word. And Peter says, you as a Christian are to honor Christ the Lord, the master as holy. Put him above everything in your life. And there is a battle that is happening. Who will you put on top, the world or the word in your life? Let me ask you a question. Is the world going to override the word Or is the word going to override the world? 
You have to understand what will become Lord, what will become master in your life. And Peter goes on and says, you got to honor Christ the Lord as holy. And then he says this, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. As Christians, we ought to be prepared to stand on the front lines and give a defense to order to tell you why we believe what we believe. Why we believe Jesus is the hope of the world. Why do we think and have ideologies certain ways that seem very countercultural? And he says, you have to be ready at all times to give a defense for that. And then he says this, and I love how Peter says it, because he gives us instructions on now how to do it. He says, you do it with gentleness and respect. And can I just say, I, I feel at times when the world and the church are at war, it feels at times, Christians, I love the fact that we stand on truth and we jump up to support truth, but I don't like the fact that often we don't do it with gentleness and respect. We don't do it often. In this series, this entire idea of this series is living into our mission statement. The very end of our mission statement is equipping disciples who make disciples. This entire series is an equipping series for you. So you can understand what you believe, why you believe, and you can go out there and have healthy conversations with a lost, broken world or other Christians who are dealing with these false ideologies. This entire church is an equipping center for you to go. That's what we are. And I said it in week one, the church must be at the center of discipleship. The church must be at the center of discipleship. John Piper, in an article he wrote, uh, called, What is Discipleship and How Is It Done? He says this about the church and Christians. Every Christian should be helping unbelievers become believers by showing them Christ. That is making a disciple. And every Christian should be helping other believers grow to more and more maturity. That is making a disciple. And every Christian should be seeking to get help for themselves from others to keep on growing. And that is also our discipleship. That is the church. This is why we say in our mission statement, living out our God-given purpose every day. How? By reaching the lost. Every Christian should be helping unbelievers become believers by showing them Christ. By reaching the lost, being transformed by Jesus and making disciples who make disciples. That we ought to be living in community to help one another grow in maturity of Jesus Christ. Because the truth of the matter, fact, is this. We are all being discipled by someone or something. Even lost people who don't know Jesus are. Someone or something is forming and shaping them. And in the church, it ought to be Jesus. Last week, we looked at sexuality and this idea of the sexual revolution that, that really was birthed out of the 60s and still has ideologies today that are deeply rooted and affecting us today. We have ideologies of expressive individualism that you and I looked at, where our feelings and desires are really the absolute authority in our life. And that actually fills the truth, our bucket of truth. 
and it negates God as being the ultimate authority in our life to fill the bucket of truth in our life. We allow feelings and desires to override what God's word says. We also looked at this idea last week of identity and realized that in our culture today, sexuality equates to your identity of who you actually are. And if that is what you believe, that will become the authority in your life and fill the bucket of truth. Or we allow God to define who we are and allow his word to fill our bucket of truth, no matter what we feel or desire. Oftentimes we'll allow our feelings and desire to become Lord, to become master and not Jesus. And this is the first time in human history as a culture that we've taken sex from an activity of something you and I do to our identity of who we are. And this is the ideology that we're in faced with today. These are real things that not only is the world outside there that's lost and broken, that's far from Jesus wrestle with, but this is what even some Christians wrestle with. Wrestling with some issues that we're gonna talk about. I think this is some of the most confusing topic we can talk about. Here's why. Because it's even confusing those in the transgender community. And we'll unpack that in just a moment. But let me ask you as a parent, you have a kid that never met typical gender stereotypes growing up in your home. And they feel like I don't match the box of stereotype you have deemed this is masculine, this is feminine. I don't match that. So your child then begins to search out there for something else and lands upon TikTok and finds a community on TikTok that reinforces, if you don't fit these stereotypes, you must be something else. And then TikTok becomes a small little echo chamber for all their worldview and belief. Or a parent that's wrestling with this idea that their child wants to be called by a different pronoun than the name you gave them at birth. This is real issues we're facing with. Or that in your child's school, perhaps, your son's bathroom now has a tampon dispenser. And you're going, what? Not only that, maybe your daughter plays basketball and the team, the opposing team comes in and they have a biological male on that team. And you're watching the game going, this seems just unfair. That biological male seems like he's going to dominate this woman's sport. I think it's very confusing so what I want to do is show you some pictures and get us on the same page when it comes to some terms and definitions. Because out there, it's, it's, there's a lot of confusion. And I think if we're going to do it with gentleness and respect, we got to know where they're coming from. So let me show you this. This is their main picture to help us understand gender dysphoria and the transgender movement. It is called the gingerbread person. Oh, I'm sorry the gender bred person. This is how they understand it. I think this image is so helpful though for us to understand, okay? Here's the idea. You see the mind where there's a rainbow. The mind is what they term as their gender identity. It's their mind. But look at the way their mind can think. There's a spectrum. I can think that I'm a male or a female and then there's a spectrum 
spectrum in between that range that my mind can tell me who I am. The mind equates to gender identity. Does that make sense? The mind chooses. Then you have the heart. The heart is what you are attracted to, your sexual desires. That too has a spectrum. You can be attracted to males or females or anything in between there. And then there's the biological assigned sex. That is, what is, that is what you are assigned to at birth. You look at your sexual genitalia, and that is it, male or female. And then there's a spectrum because there is something called intersex, which is a very small percentage of our population that is born with both male and female reproductive parts. Then, with those three, gender identity, what I'm attracted to, and what my reproductive parts say, then, if you notice on the side, it says expression. I can express myself in all sorts of ways, from male to female, and the whole spectrum. Do you see a little confusion? There's four different things that they're battling So get this, here's an example. This is all on a spectrum and it can change day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year. The example is you can have a biological male but identifies here as a female and expresses as a female. You can have but is attracted to males. Do you see the four? I know, just hang in there, you guys are doing great. You can have a bio-female, the assigned sex female. They ID themselves as male, but they dress still as female, but they're attracted to males. There's just a lot of confusion. Yesterday, I was sicker than a dog. I I had a massive headache. I just kept telling my wife, she gave me two ibuprofen. I said, I need more. I was like, I need more. And I wanted to throw up and I was just laying in my chair and it's not a bad thing to get sick on a Saturday when you can watch college football all day. And so I laid in that chair, but I was just sick. And in the moment, I just felt the weight of two things. Number one, confusion that the LGBT community is encountering. I felt the deep weight and confusion of sorrow. And I felt the incredible heart of Jesus for them at the same time. And I started to well up. And he's like, wow. ABC News article had a conversation in the UK with a a mother and daughter. The mother is Marta talking about her transgender daughter, Annie. Uh, Marta was going to go buy Annie a prom outfit, but mom didn't know what to buy. Should she buy a dress or a suit? So she bought both of them because she says this in the article. She's still just Annie. It means that some days Annie is a girl and some days Annie is a boy and some days she's both. The gender identity here. Remember, there's a spectrum. Today, I feel, I identify here in my mind as a boy. Tomorrow, I can be a girl. The next day, I'm a boy and girl. It's here, gender identity. So we all know it's in the mind. Then she says, Annie believes gender is more of a mental trait rather than physical. That makes sense based on their gender-bred person because 
my physical assigned sex trait doesn't matter. What matters more is my identity of how I feel and think right now. So that makes sense. Here's what's, I think, scary. Ideology in this world today is it's not just here, and this is helpful. This is helpful. But here's my issue with this ideology, even greater degree, is that they have now created for little kids the gender unicorn to help kids wrestle with what is here, what is here, what biological sex do I have, and how is it expressed? It's an ideology that is getting down to little kids in this moment. And my heart breaks, and you as a Christian, it should break for this community. It's not us grabbing a megaphone and saying, you guys are knock it off, this and that. No, it's sitting here going, I am breaking with you. Because the question they're wrestling with is, did God really intend for us to be this confused? What is happening inside? Last week, I showed this picture and showed you uh, this idea of Corinth being the nickname luxury loving Corinth where anything goes, right? It's the, it was the ancient Las Vegas, literally anything goes, anything goes Lux, luxury loving Corinth. And Paul writes to the church, but the context of this verse you and I are going to look at real quick is the context is within spiritual gifts. But I think within the context of spiritual gifts, we can grab a principle out of it and a characteristic of who our God is. Paul was addressing this idea of speaking in tongues in their church services, and it feels like it's a little chaotic, especially to outsiders. And Paul is very clear to says speaking in tongues is a gift, but how it should be done within the church is within order. And he writes this word or this sentence, this verse in context to spiritual gifting. And this is what he says, though. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And he's writing in the sense of spiritual gifts to say, you guys are using this spiritual gifts outside of God's beautiful bounds. And it's causing confusion to especially those from the outside who look in. But here's a principle you and I can pull out of this. It's very simple. The principle is God is a God of order, not confusion. God is a God of peace, not chaos. And we can apply that to everything. This Greek term for confusion literally means instability, a state of disorder, disturbances, or commotion. And he's saying God is not that. God is a God of peace. Why does chaos and confusion come? Because of the fall. Because of sin. Because the enemy wants to counterfeit everything God created and called good. So real quick, let's do four terms so you and I are on the same page as we think. Number one, sex. Sex is defined by Dr. Mark Yauhaus in his book, Understanding Gender Dysphoria. Everything I show you from four books here are all Christian authors um, who have done extensive research that is smarter than me and all of us combined on this area. This is like their expertise, okay? This book is wonderful. It's super scholarly, super heady. So if you're like that type of person, this is a book for you. If you're not scholarly, avoid the book because it's going to... It's like, you'll watch, it's like watching paint dry then. Like you're like, I can never, this is never going to get through this book. Sex is this. 
Male, female. Typically with reference to chromosomes, internal reproductive anatomy, and external genitalia. This is the common term for sex, right? We, we would look and say what we're assigned, what our genetics say, what do our chromosomes say? XX or XY. It's what we see, what's assigned. Then we have this term called gender identity. Gender identity by Dr. Andrew Walker from the book God and the Transgender Debate says this. It's a person's self-perception of whether they are male or female, masculine or feminine. So, gender identity, go back to the gender-bred person. Gender identity is here. It's the person's mind. It's the self-perception of what I think that I am. And I can choose what I think, male or female. Where before, these two terms were the same. Your sex is your gender. Your biological and chromosome sets that say XX or XY determines if you're male or female. And they've taken it now today and we've separated the two. So if you and I are going to engage in healthy conversation, we have to know what are they talking about when they say things. Now enter here for just a moment, gender identity. This is where stereotypes are awful. Absolutely awful. We have done, the church has done wrong in coming up with stereotypes of what it means to be a man or a woman. And I think and I propose that we need a broader stroke of stereotypes of what it means to be a man and woman. Here's what I mean. If you are a woman, what we have done today is we put you in a very narrow box and said this. You got to look pretty. You got to like dresses and high heels, maybe makeup. You got to like maybe home decorating stuff. And that is what equates to being a feminine in our culture today, to be a female. But what happens if I'm a female and I don't necessarily like all that stuff? I actually like sports and I like trucks and I like steak. What does that make me then? And I would say that makes you awesome if you're a woman, right? Like, that's awesome. But here's what they go. If I don't fit your stereotype of what it means to be a man or a woman, I must not be that then. And we've done that in the church. We said, oh, this is only like women. Men. Men like meat. And trucks. And shooting guns. And I'm going... I don't like shooting guns. I would rather do interior decorating and design all day long than go out and shoot a gun with you. Question, what does that make me then? Oh, Ryan's in touch with his feminine side. No, I'm not. I just think that's how God wired me. I like those things, but our culture today would say, Ryan, those things are feminine. You don't fit into the masculinity box. Listen, King David, shepherd boy, wrote poetry and music, deemed a man after God's own heart. In today's culture, we would say, that's a little feminine, King David. And it's wrong for us to say that. Who cares if a male likes the arts and theater and doesn't like sports and shooting guns? But what the church has done is we put them in a box. Culture has put them in the box. And I think that's wrong for us. 
to do those things. It's absolutely wrong for us. That's why I say we need broader strokes of what it is. A man can like sports as much as he likes theater. He can. <laughs> Check this out. Because stereotypes have changed with culture. 1918. Oh, Ladies Home Journal says this. The generally accepted rule is pink for the boys and blue for the girls. I'm all day. I w- I'm for that. I like pink and purple. Yes, I would. I think that should be it. You know, today's culture, we flipped that, didn't we? Boys are blue, girls are pink. 1918, boys were pink, girls were blue. Here's why. Because the reason is pink is being more decisive in a stronger color. And is more suitable for the boy, while blue, which is more delicate and dainty, is prettier for the girl. Isn't that interesting? Do you see how sometimes society and culture shifts, we change our stereotypes? It is completely flipped today. Um, Think about this, and I know this is Jewish, but we do not do this. But if you look in the Bible, you think men in the ancient time, uh, they were known to weep. Today's culture, you say, men, you're strong. You don't show your emotions. You're a man. But you look in scripture and you see guys weeping. You see guys embracing one, one another. In their culture too, they greet each other with a holy kiss. Men, don't you dare greet me with a holy kiss out in the lobby. (laughs) Don't you dare. But do you see, I mean, that's cultural, but do you see how those things shift? I just think we need a broader stroke and not be so, this is it, in our church world. Uh, The third is this. Well, uh, the third is gender dysphoria, which is the sense of mismatch between physical sex, which is your body, what you're assigned with at birth, and your psychological gender identity, the mind. So what gender dysphoria is, it's, it's encompassing sex, your chromosomes, what you're birthed with, and what you think in your mind. Those two combined is known as gender dysphoria. And then we have transgender, which is really the umbrella term of all of it, of what you're experiencing, your identity that's not aligned normatively with a person's biological sex. It's the umbrella for it all. And here's what it is. And this is the confusion. The world's view of personhood is this. The mind and body are separate. The mind is who I am as a person. It's my moral and legal standing. You cannot argue with my mind because this is how I think and feel. But my body is just raw material with no moral value. It's expandable uh, as it's an expendable bioorganism. So they separate the wholeness of the body to say mind over body. You know what this is today. This is Darwinism and present day Gnosticism. I'm your professor. Hang in there. Darwinism, evolution means matter that has evolved through time and chance and your body and matter is meaningless. This is all evolved as happenstance over billions of years. It's meaningless. Your body has no value. Gnosticism was a movement that the early church faced and Gnosticism would say, the only thing that matters is the spirit. Everything physical is evil. And so Gnosticism says the physical part of you is an impediment to you and who you are. 
So ignore your body, ignore the chromosomes, ignore your genetics and what the reproductive parts you have. What matters is, because that's just trash anyways, what all that matters is how you think and feel. My question is, do we have a better body theology than that? Do we actually think our body matters? More importantly, what does God say about our bodies? Here's what I'm going to show you. I'm going to go through a few verses to help us with a body theology to understand our bodies are to be whole, not to be separated. Genesis 1. I told you you'd eventually get there. Then God said, let us make man in our image. This is the very first reference to the triune God. Let us, Father, Son, and Spirit, the theology of the triune God. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them male and female. So you see here immediately, God's saying that there is a likeness that I'm bringing here. There is a likeness of your body. I'm not separating mind and body. You're created. Your body matters because it's created in the likeness and image of our creator. The world's view is not separate or the world's view separates it, but the word's view combines it. Your mind and body are created in the image of God. Your mind, your body, and your soul are interconnected. There is wholeness with who you are. And there's scripture all over to say and help us understand the unity of the mind and the body. The psalmist writes in Psalm 139, for it was you, God, who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And for that reason, I will praise you because I've been remarkably and wondrously made. God's sitting there going, your body matters because I gave you a body. Not only that, I knitted your body together. I put it together. In fact, the body matters so much as that's how Jesus came incarnate. John tells us the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, God himself, took on flesh, a body form. Last week we looked at our body, and this week we're going to look at it, the exact same verse in Second or in 1 Corinthians. It says this, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person's commit is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Your body is not some expendable organism that just is trash and you can throw it away. There is sin against this thing. And this is what God has given us. And what does our body do? It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is not this raw material that you can throw. It is a temple. That is who you are. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have from God. You are not your own body. You were bought at a price. So glorify God in your body. There is meaning to the body. Philippians, I love this because I want to know what this looks like. We are to be given a new resurrected body. 
when it's all said and done and God wraps the story up, if you will, his whole redemptive plan, you and I as Christians get a new body. I mean, he could have given us anything, but it says he's gonna give us a body. And then Philippians says this, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Isn't that cool? You and I will get a new body, one that is glorious like the resurrected body of Jesus. And I don't know if you and I get to heaven as our spirit ascends to heaven. Do we get to choose the body we want? I, you ever thought about that? I don't know. Like, I'm gonna ask a couple things. Number one, if I'm allowed to, God, I want a body that's a little shorter than what I am. I want to experience something smaller. <laughs> I'm always experiencing high stuff. I want to experience low stuff for a little bit. Number two, uh, can you get rid of my receding hairline? Like right here, just, I want something different. And number three, I want a six pack. <laughs> Unless I have to work for that six pack, then I don't want it, Lord. It's something else. Uh, right, I th I've thought about, these are the weird things that I think about. But it says, we're going to get a new body. You can't tell me looking at scripture that the body, the theology of the body doesn't matter. Romans says this, and this is my last saying. You think of what is Jesus doing right now? Jesus Christ is the one who died, but even more, he has been raised. Jesus, he is also at the right hand of God and he intercedes for us. He is in his resurrected glorious body, sitting at the right hand of the father, interceding and praying for you and I right now. He's in his glorious body. And the world's saying this, your body is just raw material with no moral value and it's an expendable organism. But the word of God says your body is made in the image of God. Mind, body, and soul are interconnected. Your body actually does matter. There's a stat that's out there that I'm gonna show you just a few articles that are from non-Christian articles, the Washington Post, Time Magazine, that have written articles about this idea of gender dysphoria and the transgender movement. Because I think this is key. It's gonna show us something. Number one, here's the Washington Post. It says a record number of US adults identify as LGBTQ. Gen Z is driving the increase. Now think about this. I love my kids dearly. And they like to say that I pick on this, their generation too much. Is that a true, fair statement? Yeah, don't nod too big though, okay? Um, this feels like it's a very much a generational thing. It feels like that. And I don't want to just pick on Gen Z in this moment and say, well, it's just your generation, you guys don't get it. Because to a degree, there's truth. But I want to praise Gen Z for a moment. It is a generation who wants to make a difference in the world. I can get behind that. I can get behind that. They're a generation that says, I don't want to just copy what my mom and dad did and what my grandparents did. What, what really matters and can we leave our impact? I like that about Gen Z. They're going to make a difference. But I'm the bit bit fearful of 
what the echo chamber of social media has done to Gen Z. Parents, you need to guard your kid's phone for how much they're just consumed in an echo chamber of TikTok because they will be formed and shaped out of what they see on TikTok. Look at this chart from, um, this is from USA Today. Do you see those that are identifying in the LGTB, LG, LGBTQ? By the way, the first two letters, lesbian and gay, we talked about that last week. That's the sexuality. All the letters following, um, lesbian, all the following letters from G is the transgender movement, okay? Just so you're knowledgeable on that. But look at Gen Z, how it's just like astronomically out there compared to previous generations. So that tells us that there's an outlier here. Something's up. It's not just that they're more progressive. I would say because of the echo chamber that they have grown up with with social media that you and I did not grow up in, I think there's ideologies being formed out there stronger than what you and I encountered when we grew up. Here's my bashing of all generations, including myself. Here's our issue. We did not do Gen Z a good job because we created awful stereotypes for men and women. That is our issue. And we, as other generations that have gone before Gen Z, must own that. We did a bad job saying, this is male, this is female. Hopefully you match one of those. And that's why they get into the echo chamber of TikTok and go, but I don't match what my parents and grandparents say. So therefore, maybe I'm something else. I think we as generations previous to Gen Z must own and repent what we have done. Because we did wrong things too. Look at this from Time Magazine. You could see that Gen Z, how it's just shot up with those who identify as transgender, that top line, there's like nothing like it. This is why I say right now, it's affecting a small percentage, but it's a movement. It's a movement that have ideologies and we must go back to the church and say, what is God's word on this? Dr. Lisa Lippman said this, and she, by the way, is not a Christian. She is a psychologist that has done a ton of research on the transgender movement and gender dysphoria. And this is the word she puts it all together and says, it's a social contagion. That's what this is. Because you see the stats. It's just astronomical jump with a generation versus a small increment. We still stand on the word of God, but I think we handle it a little bit different. Truth is stays, but the way we do it with gentleness and respect, I think, Changes a little bit. This is a social contagion. A BBC documentary that you can watch right now called Transgender Kids said this. At the heart of the debate about transgender children is the idea that your brain can be at war with your body. Remember, the gender-bred person. My gender identity, what I think at the time, can go against what my body, what my, what my biological sex is. And I look at that and I say, I know another people group that say that their body and mind are at war. In fact, Paul writes to Christians and says it. In Romans, he says this, for my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body. 
It's waging war against the law of my mind and taking me a prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. Excuse me. Paul is saying there is flesh and there is spirit and they are at war. And Christians know what it's like to be at war with our mind and our body, what our flesh wants to do, but what the spirit of God wants to do. And there's a war. And the question arises, then how do we resolve the tension between mind and body? And the community that's wrestling and parents that wrestle with this idea of transgender and gender dysphoria is asking the same question. What do I do? The swimmer on the left is Leah Thompson. Swimmer for Penn College. Won the 500 national freestyle swim. Uh, Leah is considered to be a transgender woman. What that means is grew up biologically everything male has chosen that my gender identity, what I feel, is female. So they, we consider that transgender female, tra- a transgender woman. And uh, you can see second place in her heart. She is now outspoken against this idea in a little mockery clap to say this is unfair. She's gone on record to say, He took my title away from me. That was mine. I got first with all the women, but NCAA, you allowed a biological male to compete against me, and males are just physically, anatomically stronger than women. Hence the little side clap, yay. Now here's my point. After that, after the national championship was won, they interviewed Leah Thompson and said, why did you change from male to female? And Leah said this, I just want to be happy. This is what the world says in this moment. The world says, listen to your mind and alter your body. For Leah, it was the mind. I'm not happy being a male in my mind. So in order for happiness to occur, I will alter my body to match my mind. But the word of God says, let God transform your mind and embrace the body he gave you. There is no other area that we would ever counsel someone to say, you ought to listen to your body over your mind. Here's an example. And please lean in on this. We're starting to close, by the way. Worship team, don't come up yet, quite yet. They played far too long last time, so I was just giving your fingers a break. Lean in on this. Pretend you're a doctor. And you have a patient that's an anorexic girl that weighs about 85 pounds. And she thinks she's fat. She comes into your office and you could, and she desires pills, liposuction, and a band on her stomach. 
even a non-Christian doctor would look at an anorexic, beautiful girl and say, that's not right. There's something else going on. And they would never, ever decide, you know what, you're right. We should put a band on your stomach even though you are skin and bone. Let's put a band on it. God's word says you and I got to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, not allow to listen to the mind and alter who we are. For Romans says, do not, we looked at this last week, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Nancy Percy wrote a book that you really should get called uh, Love Thy Body. It's a beautiful book. Um, she was a feminist. She was um, an um, atheist, which meant she did not believe in God at all, had a crazy born-again experience, and now writes all about the transgender movement. And this is what she says. Why is it considered acceptable to carve up a person's body to match their inner self, their mind, their gender identity here, but, but bigoted to help them change their sense of self to match their body. Feelings can change. But the body is an observable fact that does not change. It makes sense to treat it as a reliable marker of gender identity. In fact, Dr. Paul McGuff, you guys now worship team, make your way up. From John Hopkins University, they did a study for people who have gone through surgery and hormone treatment, one of the largest in the world. And this is what he says. He says, when children who reported transgender feelings were tracked without medical or surgical treatment at both Vanderbilt University and London's Portman Clinic, 70 to 80% of them spontaneously lost those feelings. They lost them. Then he goes on and says this, treatment should not be directed at the body as with surgery and hormone any more than one treats obesity fearing anorexic patients with liposuction. The treatment should strive to correct the false problematic nature of the assumption. That's what it is. And I know if you're a parent and you're like, but I, my child's really struggling. I want to point out a significant lie that the culture says right now. Culture says you can have a son that transitions to a female or you can have a dead son because they'll commit suicide. That is a lie. All studies, all studies, I put so much effort into this study to understand this whole movement and everything because I texted this message out to some. I said, hey, I need prayer because I feel like I'm having study fatigue. I've done so much research because I wrote in my text message, I said, because I want to equip the body so well. In all my research, I came across majority non-Christian articles and surveys that says the suicide rate is higher post-treatment than it is pre-treatment. And it's a lie. It's an absolute lie. I mean, can you imagine me going to my beautiful wife, Katie, and say, babe, I'm not designed to be a monogamous husband. 
I'm not feeling that way. I'm not feeling that I should just have sex with you. I should have sex with multiple ladies. I don't feel that way. I don't identify as a monogamous husband. And I go to her and say, babe, you can either have an adulterous husband or a dead monogamous one. And I know what she'll say, dead monogamous one. That's that right there. I don't mean, please hear me, please hear my heart. We must see the fallacy in this thinking, the lie in this thinking. Sweden did the absolute largest study in the entire world, non-Christian study from the National Library of Medicine. Here's the result of their study. Persons with transsexualism after sex reassignment have considerably higher risks for mortality, suicidal behavior, and psychiatric morbidity than the general population. Our findings suggest that sex reassignment, although alleviating gender dysphoria, remember, that's their non-Christian response. They would say it alleviates in their mind some of the thinking, but here's what they say on the back end may not suffice as treatment for transsexualism and should inspire improved psychiatric and somatic care after sex reassignment for this patient group. Those that transition, their results are, they actually need psychiatric care now because it's worse than what it was before. I want to say this. Every cell in your body has a sex. Every somatic cell carries a gene and carry chromosomes. It's not just where you express your sexual genitalia in your reproductive system. Every cell in your body has male or female. And this is why hormone treatment and sexual reassignment will never, ever help because it will go against the wholeness of how God has created your body. So begin to turn the lights off. We're about 2,000 feet from the airport now. We were 30, now we're two. My last thing. How do we love people who are experiencing gender dysphoria? How do we love well? And I want to bring this, you got to look at this, mess, this slide here. I brought this last week because there was a little bit confusion. And I think the confusion settled in and then you just missed the whole thing of what I said last week. There are four types of love we see in the Bible, a romantic, a friendship, a family, and God's unconditional love. And I said last week, with sexuality, those struggle with sexuality and same-sex attraction, their master is that one, is eros romantic. That's them, and they use that word, one to define all other loves. And so if you go against that one, they feel like there's no other loves and you must be against me. And the confusion last week was, I said, how dare the church withhold the other three? And confusion set in and says, well, Ryan said, we can't tell them it's wrong. I never said that. You missed the whole message last week then. What I said is, how dare the church not say, come to the place of hope and healing and experience God's unconditional agape love? Because that's what they need. 
how dare you to say, no, nah, I'm not going to be your friend because you're opposed and you are different than me. We ought to show them philia love, a friendship love to always point them to Jesus Christ. And the problem within the church is we put up a wall that says you can't even come in to experience God's unconditional love. I think that's wrong. And the flip side of it is that we just let anything go. And that's wrong. It's a sin. But there are different loves that we can show people who are struggling with this. Even Jesus and Matthew, the son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, look, a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And just because Jesus ate at the table with tax collectors and sinners, they associated him with it. I'm just curious, should we do the same? We ought to be in biblical community more than anything. But have you befriended someone in that community? Because when you and I befriend someone in that community, we can offer Christ's love and speak the saving grace of the gospel to them. And that's our heart and desire. Is to always point him to the name that's above my head and his name is Jesus. Amen? But Pastor Ryan, I've already begun to think differently. If you've already gone down this road, can I ever be redeemed and used by God? There is nothing outside of God's redeemable grace. He can reach down and grab you today where he's at. And he wants to point you always to the better life. And it's Jesus Christ. As I closed Acts 8, I'm reminded of the eunuch in Philip. The eunuch was a man that was castrated for the service of a king or a queen. The eunuch made his way to Jerusalem to worship. But there was an issue when he gets to the temple. The temple had a wall that outsiders couldn't cross, that those who were diseased could not enter in. Those actually said who were eunuchs could not cross. And the sign read this at the temple, no foreigner is to enter the barriers surrounding the sanctuary. He who is caught will have himself to blame for his death, which will follow. They put a barrier around. You couldn't get close enough to the Holy of Holies where the presence of God is because you're a eunuch. And if you do, you will be killed. Acts 8 tells us he's reading from the book. He's already gone there, probably more than likely, has seen the warning signs all along. And he's on his chariot back to go home to Ethiopia. He's reading from the scroll of Isaiah. He must have come across this verse as he's reading his scroll that says this, but he, Jesus, was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. And then it says this, Philip is helping the eunuch understand what he's reading. And to get this to Acts 8, 36, this is beautiful. And it says this, as they were traveling down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, there's water. What 
could keep me from being baptized. Because in Jerusalem, where I came to worship, I couldn't get close enough. They barred me from getting close enough. I'm asking you, Philip, what's going to keep me back from going into the waters to be baptized? And Philip took the eunuch in, baptized him into the family of God. Know this. Your scars do not define you. Jesus' scars define you. And for that eunuch, he had a scar. But he read, this Jesus was pierced. He was crushed for me. What's holding me back? May we be a church that doesn't hold anyone back, but always points people to Jesus Christ. We will stand on truth. It's a pillar of our church, absolutely. But we will stand with truth and grace, with compassion. So if you're struggling, we do not dismiss you in your struggle. We know what it is to believe we are not at home in this world. We do not speak in a derogatory way of you as we believe you are created in God's image. You are created in God's image. And at the same time, we believe Jesus wants to disciple you towards health and integration of your body and mind the way he designed it. One man, one woman. May we glorify Jesus with our mind and body. Amen. So will you please stand? Jesus, help us to hear your words, not what the enemy wants to throw and distort in our lives. Lord, the enemy wants disunity in this room and those that hear this message in the future. May everyone struggling with any sin know I'm created in the image of God and there is no sin out of the redemption of the blood of Jesus Christ. And we now surrender everything. Whatever the struggle is, we bow down and say, take it, Jesus. We are here and we surrender everything to you. Thanks for listening to this message from Radiant Life Church. To get to know us better, check out theradiantlife.church. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram.